Hey, I'm back once again with Lisa Coleman of the Revolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we last left off, we were talking about the 82-83 time frame, and we were having such a good time. We're going to pick it up again. Lisa, how are you today? Good, good. Good to be back again. <laughs> a little different location, but just actually just over, we were over there before. Now we're over here. Yeah, it's more expansive now. So. Yes, this is the big room <laughs> of our studio. And it, you can see over my shoulder. I'm not sure how much you can see, but Wendy's over there working. Oh, there you go. It's a bonus. See, we thought we just had Lisa, but we also get a, a sliver of Wendy. So. That's right. Behind <laughs> the scenes. <laughs> great, great. So when we last talked, we, we were talking about that Santa Monica Civic show that I was at, and you were saying that um, Brown Mark was just kind of getting up and going at that point, and uh, he was kind of the latest addition to the revolution. Right. And, um, you know, after that, I remember I saw you guys perform at the Long Beach Arena uh, not too long after that. It was part of the 1999 tour, and that was just so phenomenal because – it included uh, the original time and also had Vanity Six. And uh, what an amazing show that was. Yeah, that was that was a great tour because it was it was all of us. It was like all the school kids, you know, <laughs> on a giant field trip, having all three bands on one ticket was like it was crazy. And and there are, you know, Great stories, you know, the great food fight happened in Cincinnati with the time. And, you know, it's such a crazy story, um, you know, like kidnapping each other off stage. Like we kidnapped Jesse off stage, put a bag over him, and, and Prince took his place and pretended to be Jesse <laughs> during the time set. And, you know, and it got crazy. Then, I don't know. We got pelted with cream pies and grapefruits and tied up in the locker room backstage. You know? And it went on and on through, you know, through a, a few different cities. Bobby can tell the story really well. If you ever get a chance to talk to Bobby Z, he, he tells, because he remembers like some crazy details. Um, but we did crazy, you know, putting mustard on each other's hotel room doors and stuff like that. So we go to open the door and yeah, really who, mature stuff. Who kind of was the first instigator, do you think? Gee, let me think. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't have done that without him being the leader of it. Prince was like full on, you know, once something, I think what happened was Jerome or something threw something just playfully at Bobby. And and then Prince saw that and was like, no, you don't. You know, like, you're messing with my band. And then it just started, like, war. So, yeah. <laughs> so, and then also, I mean, there's a lot of stories of sort of a rivalry building too between the time and and you guys during that tour because the time was taking no prisoners uh they were really tight on stage yeah um, i so. mean the fun it's it's ironic because we were all from the same school and you know prince i mean those guys were funky and they they carried the ball you know but print that was a side of prince you know like he kind of gave it up to be like, give them the funkiest stuff because we were doing a, a hybrid thing. And Prince knew that, you know, and he, a lot of times the funkiest stuff we would do, he'd give away and, or just, or it's in the vault or, you know, or they would be B-sides or something. It wasn't the main focus, but the time was just like, we're funky and that's all there is to it. And like, and they were just, they were great. It, it, it's true. They were they were thrown down every night, blowing people away, 
And then the management was like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we need to split them up and have them do their own thing. And and so it was a short-lived kind of tour, but it was it was a lot of fun, you know, because we were all young and cuckoo and we were on the road and we had all had our buses and stuff and you know we'd meet up at truck stops and and you know it was something surreal about it you know it's like hey that just there's so many reasons that was just a monumental period in the whole arc of prince of the revolution as far as i'm concerned um but yeah. um you know this was of course the album that um I had uh, mentioned this before. I think I probably told Matt and, and whoever else will listen to me, but um, one of the most amazing things to me about Prince at that time, following him from the very beginning, was that his um, progression was like exponential record to record. You know, he was changing look, changing sounds, expanding so much, breaking out stuff you didn't even know he could do, you know, and um, yeah. I just had never followed any artist that developed that much right before our eyes. And um, this record was just a quantum leap um, in my mind from what he had done. So what was it like, you know, kind of getting into that and, and performing these songs that really started to break him into being a superstar too? It was, um, you know, it came with some challenges because because it was a leap, and um, and 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 so we started having a, a broader range of fans, and some of the fans over here didn't necessarily, you know, ever hang with these people over here, but we were like, kind of, come on, everybody, you know, we can do this, we can all hang together, you know, but it wasn't necessarily the case in some, you know, so we'd have to do kind of like the Rolling Stones gig where it's like, we, you know, the second day we did a more rock and roll set, you know, but they still threw chicken at us. But, you know, we, we kind of learned the territories and had different sets, uh, different set lists and stuff that we would, you know, if we're in like Greensboro, you know, if we're like in the South with, it's more of a funk crowd um, or whatever cities, you know, Chicago or Detroit was like a funk town, you know, but then, you know, right close to Detroit, you'd go to another town in Michigan. That's more like a college town. They want to hear like when you were mine and, and stuff like that, you know, that's a little more poppy and, and rocky. And so we just, you know, in the funk. We couldn't help but be funky anyway. <laughs> but yeah, we had different set lists. And, um, but he, that was when he really started, like he had um, like more hit singles, you know, a little more. Crossover. Yeah. Yeah. He was really figuring that out. And, and it was, it was like a, a conscious thing, definitely. You could see it, you could feel it. You could, even when we talked, when it was always about what's the alternative? Like this is this, but what's you know what's what else? You know what's an alternative to that? What's a different way of doing that? Or would your grandmother buy this record? You know, he would really he was starting to think about that stuff. It, it didn't matter if it was just like he was the coolest kid in town anymore. It was like, how do I conquer the world, <laughs> you know? And he really thought about it and studied things, he watched concert movies over and over again, and, you know, got fashion ideas from other rock stars. You can see the influences of buttons on the pants, you know, like Mick Jagger wore, and, you know, just certain things just clicked with him. This is how it's done. I always marvel, you know, he's so busy recording, composing, performing this endless cycle, but he still found some time to check out what others were doing, like what you're talking about, um, whether it was the visual aesthetic or, or, or the music. 
so I don't know how he found time to also do that and see what others were, were doing. It was just, you know, if we were on an airplane, he bought every magazine and just like looked at them all. You know, if it was dinner time, he'd put on a video and we'd eat dinner watching a video of a concert or even just like of an old 40s movie or something that just, he wanted to see styles, you know, and, um, so he was just, it was pretty much a nonstop thing. He didn't, he wouldn't just dumb out and watch reruns of the Brady Bunch or something, you know, <laughs> I don't know. You know, if he was watching something on TV, it was something in, that was informing him in some way, you know, and he'd seek it out too. And then when that was over, it was like, okay, back to the studio. <laughs> I mean, the amazing thing too, you mentioned about broadening the audience. It also finally helped break through the barriers of MTV at the time. You know, he finally got the Little Red Corvette video on there in the 1999. And that was kind of a, a tense era um, with MTV in the beginning. You know, Michael Jackson got on and Prince got on. But um, yeah, that was part of it. Getting, you know, seen through the music video world too. Absolutely. It was really, like a, a, a white boy kind of, you know, um, hairband channel. And it was, there was really very little diversity on it. And um, and that, that was quite a, you know, I don't, I don't think people remember that very well, but for us, it was a huge mountain to climb. And like, how do we get, what do the visuals have to be like? I mean, what do they, <laughs> they want from us and, and you know prince thought about it a lot and worked on his image and his dancing and and yelled at all of us and what about your Im image and what are you doing and you know how's your hair look <laughs> whatever and um you know we we really tried really hard to make it happen so yeah it, there was just a few people a few black artists ever in those years like it would always be with you know it would be Aerosmith and you know like the pretenders and yeah all that right yeah um this was the first record that he sang with his regular voice on too before that was all falsetto and that was such a huge change did did you no, he could sing like that without the falsetto at that point. I mean, were, did he surprise you guys, or did you encourage him to sing in his normal voice, or what happened? Um, no, I think he made that decision to be more of a rocker um, and get out of the, you know, I guess the soul, you know, falsetto is kind of attached to soul music and disco and, you know, those kinds of things. And um, no, he didn't surprise me at all because he always exhibited such a range vocally in front of us. You know, it wasn't like a, a surprise at all. And it was just like, um, it was interesting to see how and when he would use the different voices or when he'd sing in his, his natural, you know, natural range and then do falsetto background vocals you know that's such a beautiful sound for him um but i think that was part my brother used to joke sometimes about uh, I don't uh about prince's regular voice when he'd do licks in his normal voice uh, my brother like said oh that was his white guy lick <laughs> and when he said that it, it like i it really clicked with me and I was like, oh my God, I think he's right. I think he was doing things that were more rock based and not like church, you know? So, I don't know. I was blown away because I didn't even know he could sing like that until then. And it was like, wow, why, why has he been hiding this? You know, and uh, it was just, I mean, it took him the sky was totally obviously the sky was the limit at that point it became obvious yeah yeah i think so that was like oh my god like that's in there too <laughs> like wow superman <laughs> yeah 
Um, so this was the ramp up period to, of course, um, you know, the phenomenon of Purple Rain and um, how daunting was that whole build up to that for you? I mean, I know there's a lot of um, extra rehearsals and acting lessons and things like that. And what was that whole experience like for you? Um. It was fun. It was it was it was high pressure but low pressure because <laughs> maybe just because of the people that we were and we had kind of been in the trenches a lot already. And this was just another like uh, fun house kind of, like now we're going in in here. <laughs> what is it? Pirouettes and you know it was kind of silly and and in the beginning we we didn't we kind of thought we were going into making a, a cult movie that we were just going to make this film that was going to be you know like the secret world that we have you know and then the more you know we started working on it and the more people became attached to it you know the, the thinking was then like make make a hit movie. I mean, if you just put the, you know, this certain kind of formula in there and, you know, like Rocky, like win the game and stuff, you know, you have a chance, you know, let's try and make more out of this. And I, I think we took it with a grain of salt, but at the same time, we we were like all about posture, you know, anyway, because we were just like, badasses you know and because prince was so capable you know i mean we saw we saw him make mistakes and learn things and work on things but he always rose above it he always conquered it he always you know was you know like oh yeah right on you know and and so we followed that and you know we found that in ourselves and and really had a feeling of you know, we, yeah, we could do that, you know, it's no problem. But when it hit the way it did, it was astounding. And it still is astounding. <laughs> it is. And, um, you know, I also want to mention, though, leading up to that, in that whole period, I mean, there was turbulence, too, behind the scenes. I mean, there was personnel changes in different ways. And definitely want to mention that Wendy came into the, into the scene, you know, for the revolution. And I wanted to uh, make sure that I didn't, bypass touching on you know how she got into the group um longtime friend of yours and you know how, how did, did did you recommend her or how did that happen well that so we did skip because that was um 1999 the 1999 era um prince um i think I can't remember exactly when she first met him. I think it was at a video shoot. Um, sexuality, something, we shot it in LA. And I remember my sister came and, and Wendy and Susanna came. And it was, I was still new to the band and she's, she and Susanna and saw Prince and were like, what's that? Like, oh my God, I think I'm in love. And then it was probably a year later that um, again, like all of us kids, our brothers and sisters were all friends. And so uh, we were on tour in, in New York, we had some time off. So my, my brother and sister and Wendy and her brother and sister came out to visit and and that's when Wendy was in my hotel room playing the guitar and Prince happened to be walking down the hall and he heard guitar coming from my room. Like, Wait a minute, who's playing that? Cause I suck at the guitar. <laughs> and so he knocked on, on the door and like, who's playing that? He came in and so Wendy just played like this big beautiful chord that like a Joni Mitchell chord or something, you know, it sounded like it was in an open, 
open tuning, but it wasn't. And so Prince was just like, that's cool. And, you know, and then later that same week um, was when Des, there was some tension in the band and Des was not happy. So Des uh, didn't show up to a sound check and when he was there and Prince said, do you know controversy? <laughs> Here, take my guitar, play controversy. Ah! And so she played, you know, and she was funky as well as like big, beautiful chord. And it blew his mind. And he was like, okay, Des, you don't have to come to soundtrack. <laughs> I was like, Wendy! Yeah. And that just started him thinking even more. I mean, now he had these two girls in the band, white girls. We were lovers at the, you know, we were girlfriends. And it was like this, like he was like, wow, this could be great. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of, it was a fantasy for him in, in a lot of ways, you know, and, um, it came true. And then we were just, I mean, they hit it off so well. And and then he met her sister and they fell in love. And, you know, it just became, a, we were a family, you know. It was, it was great. It was hard too, you know, like a family, we, we fought and went through hard times. And, but um, yeah, it was, it was a love thing. <laughs> So you guys are really clicking in that way. Um, but around the same time, the, the time sort of splintered and he fired uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and um, Monty left, I think, also. And um, yeah. uh, uh, Vanity split, you know, and Apollonio was brought in. And when all that was going on, was it just sort of... Um, noise on the fringe to you or were you kind of paying any attention to that kind of stuff um you know i paid attention because they were friends of mine but uh, on the professional level where i was existing it didn't it was more just like noise it was like you know i don't know what you guys are doing you know I'm busy, <laughs> like uh, sort it out, come on, you know, I didn't, didn't like it. I didn't like that kind of stress. I didn't, um, you know, I, I didn't always know the details, so I didn't understand certain people like just leaving or, you know, and even though I understand to this day how difficult it was to be there and how difficult he could be Ah. Ding. What did I win? <laughs> what was it? <laughs> that was my my chat thing. I have to turn that off. Turn you off. And maybe your TV dinner's done or something. I wasn't sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my pizza. Okay. Uh, not again. Why does that still come through so well? So, you know, when uh, Purple Rain was in the offing, though, I remember um, at the time, having followed him as I did so long, I was very skeptical about it, um, that he could pull it off, that it would get the backing that it would need to be a success, um, especially because I had been soured by things like, um, you know, I was a follower of Parliament Funkadelic and George Clinton was supposed to get a movie done and get a movie produced. And there were things like that that had happened, you had heard about preceding Prince and they never kind of came to real fruition, you know? And, yeah. um, and then movies like um, Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band or some of those kind of movies were such fluff and they didn't really, they were kind of bombs, you know? And I know. Um, so I was hopeful but skeptical and, I had a friend who got to see a rough cut of Purple Rain early on, and he said, wow, it is really rough. And I was like, oh, boy. But then later when he had seen the edited version, he was blown away 
of how far it had come from what it initially was when he saw that rough cut to what the finished product was. And I was, of course, impressed too, and the rest is, is history. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember that at one point we thought we were done shooting and there was an assembly of the film and it didn't have like the scenes, like the take the whole take me with you thing on the motorcycle. That was a reshoot. You know, they went back and they did some things to kind of lift the film and propel it in certain areas. And it really made a huge difference. And I remember then when we, we went back and had a screening here in LA in some little room and we all watched it together and it was like, you did it. You know, we just turned around and like, you did it. Cause it was, there was a, you know, it was like, eh, okay, it's a movie, let's do the tour, you know? <laughs> but yeah, there was a feeling after they kind of went back and looked at it and edited it and because the music was so good you know all it needed was just a couple little pushes of emotional things you know to to hold it together between the cool songs and um they found a way to do that so, yeah. so did, did your meryl streep moment uh end on the cutting room floor or what, what happened <laughs> no. <laughs> no surprisingly not at all. No, they were very economical with the band. You know, it was like, <laughs> say this. Yeah. So that aftermath, I'm thinking, must have just been a blur for you guys. I mean, just between the tour and um, the Oscars and uh, just the. Um, um, uh, we are the world thing and all the B sides and oh, yeah, man, what an incredible flurry of uh, stuff. I mean, yeah, it was, it was like, I don't know what it was like, but it was very busy and it was, it was insane. And we were flying all over the place, you know, like when we got, when we won an Oscar, um, we were actually playing in New York like the next night. And you know, we were on tour, so we flew in to get the Oscar and then had to fly right back. I don't think we slept, you know, and, and, the, and there were lots of, it seemed like every, every few weeks there was another awards thing. Then there was like the American Music Awards and then we, we like had to fly back and do that and we'd play and then it, the Grammys and it was like, you know. Prince always wanted them to be spectacular or, or different in some kind of way, you know, set fire to the thing, you know. That's why like I, when we first did uh, Saturday Night Live, like at the end of party up, he was like, just run off the stage, just push everything over and run off the stage. So you know, we did that and, we're like, oh. and then the, the producers were like, where are you going? Where are you going? Come back here. And uh, it was just kind of funny. <laughs> we always wanted to do stuff like that. <laughs> I, saw, I saw one of the uh, Purple Rain shows at the LA Forum. That was the one that I got to. Oh, yeah. Um, I was, um, amused to see like how far it had all come from, you know, the beginnings at the Roxy when I first saw them to seven sold out shows at the forum. Um, I was glad for him and for you guys, but I was like, wow, it's a lot harder for me to get a ticket now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It used to be your prince. Now he's everybody's prince. Yeah, yeah. And my girlfriend at the time, um, I converted her into being a prince fan, but she ended up going to see the movie like six times in the theater. And wow. you know, um, it was it was an amazing time. Um, and then on top of that, the Around the World in a Day was recorded and released so soon on the heels of that, totally different. And you guys really were instrumental, no pun intended, in <laughs> helping shape that. So could you speak to that 
time and the special connection that I think you and Wendy had with, with Prince and that creative spirit? Well, that it actually started while we were still working on Purple Rain because there were, this was a process, making a film was a, a slow process compared to what we were used to. And especially for Prince, you know, he didn't wait around you know, for weeks for another cut or rewrite or this or that, you know. It, so while those things were going on, we were, of course, in the studio and writing and fooling around. And and that's when he met my brother and, and Wendy's brother. And they came out to Minneapolis and we recorded a bunch of stuff together. Um, and it was actually a demo tape of our brothers David and Jonathan, they wrote a couple of new songs and one of the songs was Around the World in a Day. And we played it for Prince and he, it just blew his mind. He was like, well, oh my God, I love it. Where's your brother? Get him out here, call him back. And so, you know, he, had, my brother David had the Middle Eastern, you know, flair that finger symbols and, he played cello and, and darbuka, you know, percussion and all kinds of stuff. And, um, God, I wish I could turn that ding ding off. It sounds like a hotel front desk with the bell keeps ringing. <laughs> I'll just hold it, hold this up too. There it is. Around the world in a day. Around the world in a David. <laughs> yeah. So. That was so, such a fruitful time. So, I mean, while we were doing all this film stuff, we, we were writing and then we had, went off on tour and the tour was even cut short. Purple Rain, we could have gone on for, you know, a year. We were only on, on the road six months or something. We didn't go to Japan or Australia or, you know, we. I don't think we even went to Europe on that tour. I think it was Parade. Um, so that was a kind of a controversial business decision on Prince's part. He was just done with it and ready for the next thing. And um, so Around the World in a Day is one of my favorite albums. Uh, but it didn't connect the way Purple Rain did at all. It was like, oh, what's this like hippie music? <laughs> oh, it's the typical curveball that he would throw, you know? Right. <laughs> and also, I mean, most artists would have milked Purple Rain for three years at least. Exactly. Exactly. Go on every talk show, tour all over the world, do Purple Rain this, Purple Rain that, Purple everything, you know. But that's what's happening now. <laughs> But yeah, he didn't, that wasn't, it wasn't done, you know, he still, he still had his inner Muhammad Ali, you know, the greatest of all time. <laughs> and he wasn't done yet. So yeah, I mean, that, that period also was, I mean, there's so much, I'm sure still in the vault from that period, I know. There's a mythical uh, project known as Dream Factory that was uh, supposed to or going to come out around that time. And um. yeah, uh, you know, it's funny how, um, like, I never, like, uh, I don't know who named those things. Roadhouse Garden is another one, right? Yeah, like that. Those were just, yeah, we were just writing a million songs a day, you know, because now there were three of us and Prince who was so prolific, you know, was writing and we were writing and, and then he'd send us ideas or beginning, you know, like a drum track and a guitar or a keyboard part. And Jesus, what's going on with the dinging? Can I make it stop? I turned it off. Oh my God. 
That's something we didn't hear that last time. I know. Is there a way to just turn off notifications? Yeah. Not disturb. Okay. <laughs> All right, that should work. <laughs> I put do not disturb on. That'll do it. All right. All right. Um, so you were also, you were talking about the writing and everything. You also contributed to some of the other projects too, right? Were you uh, on the Apollonia record, for example? And um, what yeah. else did you do? Um, yeah. Although those, Prince was so funny. You know, it actually, it, it now it makes me angry because he made up credits. And so songs like A Million Miles was a Vanity Six song, for example. And I wrote the music to that. But then he gave, he didn't give me credit on that, but he gave me credit on a song I had nothing to do with. And he'd make me sign things like sign here that you wrote it, but you won't get credit. And then sign here that you'll get credit, but you didn't write it. And I'm like, why? What? Because he had in his mind that certain songs were girl songs and other songs just weren't. They were just normal songs. <laughs> he wasn't, he didn't have stereotypes in his mind. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, it was kind of strange that way. Yeah, it's also such a um, dichotomy or um, that's the right word. But, you know, he, he seems so free and liberated and open in certain ways and other ways like that, you know, yeah. kind of the opposite. Yeah, he, he had the side of him that was such a like a sheltered kind of square boy from, you know, the Midwest, like, like when I first met him, he had a poster of A Star Is Born with Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand on his wall, you know. And it, it was, you know, it just said something to me about him. Like, just, I mean, obviously, that's, you know, that's so that's a stereotype in itself. Like, you know. A Star is Born. I love that movie because I'm going to be a star, <laughs> and you know, and he was. But but there, there's an innocence to it, you know. Whereas like other artists or rock stars would be like be thumbing their nose at those kind of things, you know, like ah, those are squares, you know, like we're gonna, you know, we're gonna take over, you know. But his was more like, I'm going to take over. And and again, with the, like, would your grandmother buy this record? You know, is it, you know, he was so weird because he's doing Darling Nikki and then he's doing, you know, would your grandmother buy this? It's like, no, she won't. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he had, uh, what's her name, up in arms with the PMRC and, Right. Exactly. Gore back then. <laughs> That's right. We had to have stickers on the records, you know, explicit language. Wow. So go figure. Did you guys, um, you really tour for Round the World in a Day either, right? No. Yeah. Just, no. just kept at the studio stuff. Yeah. 
Because that was such a short... By the time it came out, we we were kind of on to the next thing too, you know, and the band was, I think he was, um, you know, he was wanting more and he, we were adding the horns in and, you know, and then the guys, you know, the brothers over on the side, you know, he was kind of wanting a little bit more and that moved right into Parade where it was a bigger, you know, it was kind of a bigger looking thing. And it was, you know, as opposed to Around the World in the Day was like psychedelic and colorful. And then Parade was stark and black and white and very classy looking, it had horn sections with suits on, you know. And, um, and so that to us was like the new place to go because we did the, you know, we went from purple to like rainbow. Where to go from there? Black and white. Yeah, parade was another uh, left turn, if you will, and um, great record. And I saw the um, show at the Wiltern Theater. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, I only did a handful of shows in America. Yeah. For that. And uh, so I was glad I got to see that, but it was, yeah, it was a big change. Many more people on stage, some people just walking around and dancing and that kind of thing. And Yeah. And also he was on that show, he was not playing instruments much. He was mostly just dancing yeah. and singing and wearing that overcoat, trench coat. And um, he's an amazing showman, but for me personally, I like to see him pick up some instruments too. Yeah, of course. I know. And after that, he really did. Like, he really, I mean, the in the, the, the couple of years after the revolution disbanded, when I heard his guitar playing, I mean, he just, <laughs> he turned into a monster. I mean, I thought he was great when we played together in, you know, the revolution. But after that, he just took off on the guitar, like, unbelievable. I'm so proud of him. It was just beautiful to see that because I knew that that was making him happy. You know, he, he was really becoming one of the best guitar players in the world, you know, no doubt. Yeah, who, do, who, who does that? Who, who still rises yet that I far know. into it? Right. Nobody. I know. That I can think of. So amazing because he, you know, and it was smart too because he did all the dancing and the show business and the thing. And then now it's like, now I'm going to play the shit out of this guitar, you know, and he was still pretty and, and, you know, charismatic and could just like blow your mind. And um, so that was really great to, to, to witness, even just from afar. <laughs> so when I had uh, Matt on, uh, we talked about, you know, the dissolving of, of the revolution. And for him, that was a very emotional time. And it was hard for him to deal with even. And he talked about how he actually made it kind of appeal to Prince a little bit as much as somebody can and or could. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, thought it was, you know, a mistake at the time and kind of tried to communicate that. Um, what what happened in your mind? Why did it eventually come apart? It it was complex. It was a, a combination of personal, like his relationship with Susanna, you know, was strained, and and then that created sides, you know, like, so we were on Susanna's side now, or whose side are you on? You know, and this didn't belong in what we were doing. And, um, but then it affected what we were doing. And, and at the same time, he was bringing in more people and ha having more, you know, like a party atmosphere on stage. And which was fine, you know, but 
I think he started feeling like, you know, now I need new friends. Like my whole friend thing is not making me happy right now. You know, so, you know, never mind the friends. <laughs> I need new friends. And these friends are funky too. And look how great they are. And, you know, and they were. It was Sheila's band. It was like Tony, 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 and like all these great musicians and, you know, it's like, go for it. What am I supposed to say? I, I don't, I know I wasn't fired for any musical reason whatsoever because subsequently he, you know, we both expressed that we missed each other in, in musical ways. You know, not just, I miss seeing you because you're my asshole friend and I like to see you, but you know, and he would say to other people, I wish Lisa was here right now. She knew what to play. You know, and so why, why did we have to separate, you know? It, um, and for Wendy, the same thing, it was, it was <laughs> bless you. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it really surprised us because of all the work we had been doing too. We were so intense, you know, writing all these songs and really involved in each other's lives. And I guess that was kind of, you know, the uh, it, it, the problem was built in because of the personal, because of how personal we got, you know? How, how did he deliver the message to you guys? He had me and Wendy over to dinner and <laughs> I, I used to joke that we had Pink slip wrapped chicken, <laughs> paper wrapped chicken. Um, he we ate dinner and it was kind of a weird vibe. Like what's going on? And then he took us upstairs and he started talking about want to do a show that's going to be like more flashy. And I don't think I can ask you guys. To, and he literally said, and I hate to even perpetuate this, but he said it. He, <laughs> he said, I don't think I could ask you two to wear nippleless bras and crotchless panties. And we pretty much said, you're right. No, we're not going to, you know. So essentially what he was saying was like he wanted us to go like back to being arm candy and not the creative force that we were. Like we were kind of equals and he needed to take that back. And um, and, and he, just, he just, that's what he said. And I'm like, wow, wow, really? Okay. Was, was that, do you think, just sort of his awkward way of trying to put you guys off and maybe? It could be, yeah. Like you don't want to be here you know, because you don't want this job, you know. And I, you know, he didn't say I respect you too much. He said, you don't want to do, I can't ask you to do that. So it was frustrating, you know. It was like, yeah, but you can ask me to do some things, you know. I mean, we've been up, up against some hard things, you know, in our life together, you know, that. And now it's just, that's it. That's like, wow. What about all those songs we just wrote and all the stuff, you know, and it just was all, I mean, he kept a couple things on Sign of the Times, but he took like most of our parts off. And yeah, he just wanted, well, disappear, be gone. And it was, it was, uh, it was heartbreaking. I'm I really, sure. yeah. yeah I remember being lost the next day, like, what am I going to do? I didn't even imagine this happening. I was going to buy a house in, you know, Minnetonka and <laughs> Wow. So, and then after, was it the two of you first were out and then Mark and um, Bobby or? Um. It, well, Mark, Mark, I, 
I didn't know this back then, but Mark told me recently that he was already, um, he had quit the band earlier. Um, and I, you know, don't quote me, I can't remember exactly when, but it was a couple of years before we disbanded that he was like, he went to Prince and said, I'm not happy and I want to leave and Prince convinced him to stay. And so he had a separate deal with Prince. I don't know what it was. Um, so he was kind of out of there, kind of a little more independent. And he was starting his Maserati project. And then that turned into a disaster, unfortunately. It was Prince's first signing. And he kind of, well, Mark feels it was buried, you know, it didn't really get any kind of push or, you know, what happened? <laughs> so who knows? Um, but it, it was me, Wendy, and Bobby, actually. Bobby uh, was let go of the same time, pretty much. And we commiserated. We actually went and rented a house in Palm Springs for two weeks together and like late in the sun and like, what are we going to do? <laughs> <laughs> That's where I, I, you know, I was grew up in Los Angeles and so I used to go there for spring breaks all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Good place to chill, be a lizard and like think. So, yeah. Well, for what what year did Paisley Park get constructed? Was that a reality yet? The facility when you were still part of the organization? No, no, it wasn't built yet. I think they were just maybe just breaking ground. Yeah, I think he bought the property, but yeah, that that didn't exist when I was there. It's so weird. <laughs> it it only existed in the mind at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 